What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain What up, lovers, friends, family? We're here with my brother, the way, Dr. Dan Engel, back again. And it's cool because, you know, we didn't see each other for like, five, six months, and that's just kind of the way it goes. Both of us off fighting in our own channels, you know, doing our own thing, and then you come back and you, you share the spoils of victory, you show the scars of, of battles lost and won, <laughs> and, uh, and then we, you know, get back together and, and replan how to, you know, serve the mission even better. Yes, indeed. Para el bien de todos. That's it. It's always going to be back, brother. Yeah. I love dropping back in because it's like no time's passed. Right. It's just like when we go into ceremony, right? The medicine just picks us up right where we left off. Right. Could be days, weeks, months, years. Yeah. It's always going to be back Continuous. home. Continuous. Yeah. Definitely. So let's talk about some of the stuff because, you know, people have been keeping up with what I've been doing, but they may not have been keeping up with what you've been doing. And you've been up to some pretty interesting shit, really exploring and, and going deep on the potential for the use of psychedelics as medicine. And that's a topic that we've talked about, but it seems like now it's potentially coming to fruition in a way that was almost like a dream a mm. couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're in the midst of a renaissance in consciousness. How that's manifesting now more formally, particularly in, in realms of the scientific research, is that we're seeing a resurgence of psychedelic or antheogenic, I use those terms interchangeably, the psychedelic research in the medical mainstream. And it's pushing this specific renaissance in the field of psychiatry. So psychiatry is my background and spent a lot of time in a lot of different training modalities, residency, a couple of fellowships. And when I got out, I was like, I don't know that I really want to practice this way. And so at that time, psychiatry, this was like, geez, I'm dating myself now, but like 10 years ago, um, when I first got out of my formal training and back then there was very little on the map for psychedelic research. You had these organizations like Doblin, Rick Doblin with maps mm -hmm. who was holding the light, um, just really staying, talk about somebody staying consistent in the mission yep. in the midst of persecution, ridicule, going up against a major medical industry, um, but just still staying, just chipping away you know, a little bit of time. 
And now what that looks like is we're seeing, so when you, when, when Medicaid, when pharmaceuticals are studied, they go through trials, you have phase one, phase two, phase three. And so phase one trials are the small trials. And then if there's legitimacy, if it takes hold, then you get funding for phase two and then phase three. And after phase three, those are the bigger double bind placebo controlled trials. After that, it's usually prescription ready if you've crossed all the You've right. gone through all the hurdles. File so, the new drug application and off you go. Off you go. So now we got psilocybin and MDMA going into phase three trials right now, which means they're likely to be prescription ready in the next six years or so. Is there, as you're tracking this, there's a, a designation that the FDA can do called fast tracking, mm. which means it gets totally. a quick review. Oh, yeah. And it seems with the data that's coming out, I mean, on the PTSD front, I think the latest statistic from the last trial was 84% cure rate with MDMA-assisted PTSD. The palliative care, end-of-life care with psilocybin, off the charts, successful. Is there any chance that the FDA is going to fast track these trials? Probably not. Probably not, because <laughs> you don't have big money bankrolling that fast track. Right. And in fact, if anything, from the medical pharmaceutical industry, you might have some some hesitation, some resistance. This knocks out a lot of classes of potential totally. treatment drugs. Totally. Now, I've been talking to a lot of soldiers. If we're just talking about the uh, PTSD front, and a lot of them get for PTSD get prescribed upwards of ten medications. Yeah, it's crazy. Ten medications, right? All mm. with different counterindications, and all it's just this soup that they're putting in their body, like this ten spice pharmaceutical soup yeah it's crazy business yeah and it is a business and just like any business they're going to look at the bottom line and they're going to try and push it there was just this real big backlash from one of the latest vaccines and the medical industry and those the the medical researchers that were checking it out um the editor-in-chief for the new england journal of medicine just came out saying that she has very little faith in the pharmaceutical industry because of how they skew the data Whoa. This is that's big that's for big. somebody at that level to come out that publicly against the way that the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry try and through their own perspective lens um, show a positive benefit when there really is none, and that's all consumer. That's all um, corporate driven. That's all profit driven. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this huge thing that's called publication bias. And Ben Greenfield, no, we just talked to Ben Greenfield, um, mm-hmm. Ben uh, Goldacre, mm-hmm. um, an English psychiatrist, did a really good TED talk about two years ago on publication bias. And he looked at the la- that there was a, a span of 10 years where 12 different antidepressants were petitioned to the FDA for approval. And there was something like 72 trials in that 10 years for those 12 different medicines or um, pharmaceuticals. And of those uh, studies, something like 36 of them were positive studies and 32 of them were negative studies, which essentially at the end of the day showed that I was like half and half. Half of them showed there were benefit, half of them showed there were not benefit. And in that, though, 35 out of the 36, and it might be more like 36 out of the 37, you know, plus or minus, but like 97% of the positive studies were published in the medical journals. And only three percent, no, it was only seven. Three studies, and only seven percent of the negative ones wow. were published in the medical journal. So, if I'm your average doc, where do I go to get my latest research from the medical journals? If I am not looking at like 
and privy to all the information that the FDA has. Which nobody is. Nobody is, right? Unless you have access to that information, then I'm I'm myself biased by the public by the publicized research. So I am promoting something that I might not even willingly or recognizably appreciate doesn't have any benefit. So if you're promoting something that's that's why a lot of the docs are pissed off. It's projected something like 25% of docs are going to opt out of their practices in the next 3 years. Wow. A quarter of the docs in all disciplines across the country well, they're not being given access to the tools that they need to right. make real. So they're super, change. they're super frustrated. Yeah. And so, from my perspective, you know, most of the docs I trained with are good, well-meaning guys. We just wanted to make sure. a good. And if you wanted to make money doing, you know, there's a lot of other ways to make relatively easy money <laughs> than being a doc. Mm-hmm. So most of it's altruistic intention, and and their um, mispromotion of the available uh, therapeutic interventions is mostly out of ignorance it's not necessarily out of malice they just don't have the the data so you've got this whole publication bias you have this whole fast tracking of vaccines and certain drugs to market because there's a major profit margin yeah and the the whole resurgence of psychedelic research is really shining a super beautiful light and the fact that these traditional medicines are extraordinarily good for many of the areas that psychiatry is really crappy at. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned PTSD, end-of-life transition, addiction, mm-hmm. treatment-resistant depression, treatment-resistant anxiety. Addiction and PTSD, I think, are the really big ones. And so when you look at particularly with veterans, you have a huge uh, opportunity to serve well a very underserved um, client population, you know, yeah. ki- kids essentially, young kids going out and fighting wars for reasons that they're not totally even sure why they're there, come back and they're placed on pharmaceuticals with standard cognitive behavioral therapy at maybe like a 20% success rate versus something like, yeah, psilocybin, MDMA, ibogaine, ayahuasca, all these things right now are being actively um, researched for PTSD. It's just a crazy world we're in where it's like, we say, all right, doctors, here you go. Here's what you got. You got to do surgery and we got, uh, we have scalpels, but we got to leave those in the drawer. Um, so I'm going to give you a butter knife (laughs) and like, you got some rocks that you can make some flint out of, Uh you know, if you want to. And the doctors are looking like, what the fuck? You want me to heal? You want me to do surgery with a butter knife and some flint? Like, give me the good stuff. You know, I know you got scalpels back there. And that's what we're finding. It's just these things, these tools that can be amazingly helpful have been outlawed. And it's not just <clears throat> the tools themselves. I think it should be mentioned that it's, you know, MDMA treatment with like with psychiatrists and psychologists that really know how to drive that experience further. Because it's not like a soldier can just pop a molly and go to the club and all of a sudden PTSD is over. You know, it's not like the, these are some magic bullet like take some shrooms at a fucking concert and like, woohoo, I'm not addicted to anything anymore. Like it just allows the practitioners, you know, you need someone wielding the scalpel. You Mm -hmm. need someone to be able to use these tools to get inside, to break behind the walls, to actually access that consciousness body of the person. Mm -hmm. And that's what these things are. They're, they're bridges, you know, they're chakarunas as they're called. Totally. Totally. And, and we're seeing the, the slow movement towards, 
the active and above board training of medicine positive trauma therapists to be available to do this kind of work. Because right now in the States, the only way that work is available is through organizations and clinical settings where you have trained professionals under the guise of a formal study. Mm -hmm. There's a huge underground movement and there has been for a long time. And your data's right on. It's like 83% cure rate for chronic severe PTSD after two to three psychedelic assisted psychotherapy sessions, specifically with MDMA. Mm-hmm. 83% PTSD gone after two to three sessions. Right. And so how does that compare to the, the kind of the average allopathic or Western model now? Well, that, that's going to be pharmaceuticals. It's going to be group therapy, and it's going to be some individual cognitive-based therapy, and that's maybe, again, maybe 20% success rate, depending on the numbers you look at and where you're looking at. Right. So you've just significant, that's, if you went from two, 20% plus or minus to 83%, it's a 400-fold increase. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing that this isn't being fast-tracked by the government and the, and, and the FDA and everybody, because we're having somewhere upwards of 30 soldiers a day committing suicide a day a day and i actually read an interesting article on that and a lot of people just say you know that's straight up ptsd that's causing this Mm. and the article was saying that a lot of these people when you're actually looking at the medical records a lot of them are the ones that are on these 10 12 Mm -hmm. you know uh, pharmaceutical pill a day kind Mm -hmm. of regimens and that's just kind of crossing a lot of wires on a level so many you know, because they don't, when you do these clinical trials, you don't test the effect of doing all 10 <laughs> against placebo, you know? No. You just test one and then you kind of make some guesstimates about cross, you know, any kind of cross indications, you know? But those aren't like hard rules in that thing, you know, right. except in rare cases, like you're not going to take an MAOI with another SSRI or some, there's like some hard rules. But other than that, it's like, yeah, he'll live if we do this. You know? but, but what the uh-huh. fuck's happening there? You're right. affecting like multiple different chemicals within the brain. And the interplay and the understanding of how that's working is not at a level that's sufficient to be able to just prescribe that many. Yeah, it, know, becomes this, it becomes this toxic soup. Right. And then the prescribers don't really know what else to do because maybe they're not getting trained in alternative modalities or they have a particular dogma or maybe they just don't have fucking time. Your average doc spends about 12 minutes with a client. And the average number, the average length of time when you sit down to talk with your doc before your doc interrupts you, 11 seconds. So you barely have enough time to say hi (laughs) before your doc has already got an idea in his mind of what direction to go. And you're not going to talk about like, you know, what are the lifestyle issues that are contributing? How are you yeah, feeling your, about this? Like, what's your story? Yeah, right. Like, what are, how are you? Not what are your symptoms? Not if we've checked off all the boxes. Not what your dose is. Blah, blah, blah. These things that are super freaking important. It's like you're on the battlefield. Those docs are on the battlefield in and out. Instead of wielding scalpels, they're trying to wield their prescription pen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a broken system. Mm-hmm. And so you got docs opting out. You've got clients that are looking more and more for alternative therapies. And that's what's pushing the industry. Yeah, it, It's the, the good data and it's frustration on the consumer's part. So the consumer-driven movement is one towards integrative medicine. Yeah. Because the pharmaceutical industry, they don't have any, they don't have any benefit really in the, in the big grand scheme of things to bring other guys to the table. 
they're the big guy on the block. So, but when we know, and this is when it becomes really cool, alchemy. When we know, and I'm not saying that pharmaceuticals are all bad. Sure, I did that for a while. I bastardized them. I was like, you fuckers. Like even when I was septic in the jungle. I was like, I'm not going to use antibiotics. Like, what would I have done 100 years ago? <laughs> so I tried all these freaking modalities. And I got sicker and sicker. And But I was c- convinced I could find something. And eventually I came on to colloidal silver. And um, massive doses internally and topically because I had this pretty raging um, infection that got bad and bad and septic eventually. So the colloidal silver knocked it out. Not everybody's going to want to do that. And I understand that antibiotics have their place. And when we've corrected everything, particularly if people have bipolar mood disorder and schizophrenia, when we've corrected so many other factors, sometimes there's a really good benefit from using a fraction of a pharmaceutical. It mm-hmm. just seems to tie everything together. Right. So to say to say that one field of medicine is bad is that same kind of thing that sure. Western medicine has been trying to do to chiropractic and naturopathic and homeopathic and Eastern medicines for a long time. Every, everything has its sacred role. And when we know how to use each of them well together... Then we start creating high they're alchemy. All, they're all just tools. Just you know, tools, It's man. just about the skill in implementing these tools. Like I, People should be grateful that all the pharmaceuticals that are out there exist. That's an interesting tool. And there will be a time and place for most of them. Some of them maybe not. But most of them, there's going to be, yeah, as you said, like dial this in at this level. You know, so that's awesome. But the the skill in using everything else, particularly when it comes to the brain, I think you know, people are always under, you know, undervaluing the belief system involved in that process as well. Mm-hmm. They're treating these chemical, they're treating it like in this weird abstract sense, instead of really realizing how much the mindset of an individual oh, has man. to play on the actual huge of the whole situation. Huge. That's probably the single biggest factor. Yeah is our mindset because when we really start to look at the the data through quantum mechanics non non local healing these really phenomenal what would look like what einstein called voodoo phenomena when we really start looking at the the subtle spooky phenomena spooky phenomena right, right right when we start to look at these really amazing subtle but powerful energetic phenomena we really start to appreciate, even in the lab, right? When you're looking at great data, like for example, Lynn McTaggart, Lynn, Lynn McTaggart's work in a book called The Field. She studied all this, and she's a massive researcher. So if you want like the data, then go to look at that about the power of the mind mm-hmm. and our ability to visualize our our own improvement, to access greater, deeper, larger states of consciousness, to bring healing into multiple modalities and to use a variety of supportive therapies that help us get into those states. And that's one of the things I like really about the psychedelic experience is that it is a new trajectory. It's a new mindset. Right. So coming back to Einstein, you know, he said that we can't solve the problem using the same mindset or consciousness that got us there in the first place. So we need this big wake up. And the psychedelic experience, particularly when held well, which is not like psilocybin at a rave or MDMA popping, you know, with your friends just to get off. It's like, okay, using these really powerful psychedelic or mind expanding um, avenues in the right set and setting to expand our consciousness, but also to heal these fractured souls. Right. 
all of this is really about disconnection, disconnection from who we are, who we're meant to be, our friends and family, conscious communities, like we've talked about before, living in the tribe, living our most free, expansive, inspired life. When we're in that state, everything else is secondary. Even if you have chronic pain, when you talk to people who have chronic pain for a long time, those that get well, like Viktor Frankl said, you know, it's all about attitude. The last of the great human freedoms is our ability to choose our attitude in any set of circumstances. So even people with chronic pain, when you talk to the people that have been able to successfully navigate it, eventually the pain becomes secondary to life right. as opposed to primary, right? So I'm still going to live my life even though this thing is happening. Mm -hmm. So whatever that looks like, that is our ultimate power. At our deepest core is the ability to choose our faith, to choose our mindset, to reclaim our our indomitably buoyant spirit mm -hmm. that recognizes this this monkey suit is just a transient day experience in in my whole life of the soul. And I walked in, I got this monkey suit on this time around, and I'm going to cash it in and see what happens next time. You know, at the end of the day, right. It really boils down to that. It's simple. We get attached because we love and we bond and we have these egos that like to be fulfilled. We get attached, but then we also like, we also almost hate our monkey suit to a certain degree. Like there's, I've noticed, I've tracked that a lot. There's like this attachment, like we don't want it to go, but we don't really fully love it mm. either. Mm. You know, we're always comparing it. We're always judging it. We're always telling it that it's not up to standards or it's not good enough or it's we're, we're like we have a really abusive relationship mm. with this but then you know a recent ceremony that i had allowed me to really flip that and that it showed me that <clears throat> everything that comes into creation inherently contains its own death with it like nothing can be created without its inevitable disassemblement back into chaos and death mm -hmm. you know so we're basically walking memorials of ourself. Mm. Everything that exists is a walking memorial. We're living our own funeral now. Mm -hmm. And you know that feeling you get when someone dies and you haven't got to really say what you wanted? And like, we can have that now to mm. ourselves, to everybody around us, because we're all dead. I'm dead. You're dead. Raba's dead. Everybody here in this office is dead. On it is dead. Like, mm. at some point, it will die. Like, because it's been created it's just part of the necessary duality of that creation and then back to disassemblement to parts mm -hmm. like it's inherent in that and so while you're there you know having that wisdom to really celebrate it celebrate it like mm -hmm. the funeral is now <laughs> like it's happening every single moment today is a good day to die today is a good day to die you know like to live that fully Whew. that's some powerful medicine freedom yeah ultimately and we, and we have such this crazy disconnected association in our modern day culture in the West with death. Oh yeah, that's that's insanity, right? Yeah. There's something like seventy-five to eighty percent of all the healthcare dollars are spent in the last six to eight months of life. Just grok that. I mean, like people in the ICU hooked up to all this bullshit, trying to squeeze out another six months. But is that quality life? Versus just sailing out in the middle of the ocean with your friends and saying, man, 
bringing a bunch I've, of mushrooms, bringing some right? LSD, bringing some MDMA, <laughs> and figuring out I'm going out totally. one way or another hey, fucking fired up. And I am stoked to do yeah. it, man. I or, you know, lived. fuck it. If you really want to celebrate the meat suit, maybe it's not all these psychedelics. Maybe it's blowing Viagra. And you just <laughs> and you just go you just go out hard, sure. just right. hard as a rock with a what? big smile on your face. Maybe that's how you want to <laughs> do it, you know? Whatever your thing is, I'm not going to impose on you. Right. But, like, make it a moment. Yeah. You know, make it a moment. And your moment. Make Whatever's your moment. authentic to you. Yeah. I don't know what's right. You don't know what's right. You know what's right for you. Right. I know what's right for me. I'm getting more and more clear all the time what's right for me because I'm getting more authentic. Mm-hmm. Right? You use the word a lot, which I really appreciate, which is impeccability. Mm-hmm. And that's like honest in that's an honest inventory. That's deep personal integrity to living our most authentic life, whatever that is. And some of the some of the people that have been so inspiring are the biggest assholes in my environment because they're just so raw. Right. They're just so who they are. And also, there was a really good friend of mine that had a bad traumatic brain injury and it really shifted his personality. And right now, he's one of the more funny guys I know because he's just automatic. There's no filter. Hmm. He just says what on what's on his mind. So it's kind of like, um, what was that? Liar, liar. With Jim Carrey, like he's on the he's on the right. <laughs> he's on the elevator and he looks down and he sees this girl's blouse and he's like, "Whoa, what's happening there?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like so, <laughs> there's very very little social like uh, um, cues and norms now, but it's so refreshing because he's just so authentic. Mm. And you really, I really, I'm growing to appreciate that more and more. And and, and you're kind of as a physician in some ways taught to be inauthentic particularly because when you don't know shit and and part of the training is to act like you know shit like when you're a medical you know when you're in a medical student and you just start getting pimped by your by your um, teaching physicians um, you 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 start to develop this kind of style where you just make up shit on on the fly because you don't want to look like a jackass in front of everybody that you're right. getting you know pimped maintaining that presence of authority and yeah yeah Versus just being real, like, I really don't know. Now, is there something, speaking of this, you know, like, <clears throat> is there some precautions that physicians take without even knowing it, or some who are good consciously take to not kind of take on the people's energy that they're kind of dealing with? Because that would be one of the cha- challenging parts of people in any kind of first-line care situation is, like, making sure that you're not absorbing all of that pain and suffering and anguish that you're releasing from these different people you know it's kind of like the stripper that won't kiss because she's afraid that you know that 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 something will get in a little deeper you know and maybe some of this physician's austerity is a little bit of that shield yeah yeah i've trained one of my one of my absolutely best mentors uh died in his mid-60s um from leukemia and he and I had a really good conversation pretty shortly before he passed. And um, I asked him that same question. I said, because uh, he was so present always. And he really, you could feel his presence. He was completely locked on to you. Mm. And he was with that, he was that way with everybody. And And when you're that locked on and you're that intuitive and present, then you get really skillful at being able to read the energy and understand more directly kind of like the maestros and the maestras in the midst of ceremony mm-hmm. they're very present 
with the energetic dynamic that's happening. Now, they're also very good at clearing the field afterwards. Sure. Right? So that's going to look like sage and other medicines and tobacco and the icarros that they sing to clear their own field. If you're not doing that, then you're going to continue to accumulate stuff over time. And I asked him that question. I said, do you think that part of the leukemia that you're going through, because he, he ate really healthy. He was super strong as an ox. Um, his, his generational line, they all lived long. And all of a sudden, he just got this thing. And it was like, wow, something's happening. And I asked him, I said, do you think it's because you've accumulated some of the energy of your clients? And he was a chiropractor, so he was always in their space and in their like intimate physical field adjusting them. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, probably. I probably took on stuff along the way, but I wouldn't change it. I still get, I still just really feel the depth of his service. Yeah. And his desire and willingness to be so absolutely rock fucking solid for his clients. And people came out of his room healed. Mm Mm-hmm. No, 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 doesn't mean they didn't come back. They would consistently come back to see him because you always felt good in his presence. And he was so willing to be there on the front line for those that he was serving. That altruistic intention was so dynamic and powerful. And do I think there were probably things that he could have done to continue to clear his field? Yes. Uh, And maybe it was his time. We don't really have any idea. You know, you were talking about like our, our death is here now. I think you're fucking right on with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at, and it, this is really depends on two kind of where your spiritual and philosophical beliefs are as far as things being predestined. We're under the energetic cosmological influences of the larger grid. When we go through craziness that stretches long periods of time, oftentimes that's like planetarily related and I'm not like, uh, yes, I did live in Sedona, so I've got like a bit of a woo-woo <laughs> flair, totally. That's mm-hmm. the metaphysical capital of the country. And there's something to be said for understanding how the the cosmic dust of the grand plan and the grand scape affects our daily life, our daily consciousness and moving forward. So who's to say that it's not in some way kind of expected that because of these influences i'm more predisposed to dying in my early 40s you could call that genetics you could call that spiritual you could call that cosmic you could call that a whole lot of things i think we're honestly i think we're just scratching the surface on what we really understand is all the influences that that factor into this human monkey suit well i think one thing that everything in my tracking and experience is shown is that I agree with you that there may be winds and breezes and currents that might want to push you some way, but we always have the choice to swim against any kind. It's always free will, too. You know, there's always free totally. will. Like, you can take away everything else in the universe, strip away everything, this, 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 identity, blah, blah, blah. Free will is one of those forces that right. is at the very Last core Last of the great foundation. human freedom, right? Yeah. Ability I, to choose. And so I think it's good to be aware of where the tides are swimming, but not to say, oh, well, this is just what was supposed to happen because of no. fucking Mars right. and Mercury. It's like bullshit. Like, yeah, all right, maybe you got a headwind now. doesn't mean you stop the journey. doesn't mean you fucking no. lay down in the snow and let the cold overtake you until it feels warm again and you fucking quit. <laughs> like, no time for that, <laughs> no. motherfucker. The fight's still on. Totally. Let's go. So we don't become passive right. participants in this game of life. We're not in the passenger seat with somebody else driving the car. We're in the 
driver's seat, mm-hmm. right? Maybe at times we pick up new guides along the way, teachers sure. along the way. They've got the map. They're helping us. They, they're like our co-pilot, right? But we sit across the table from spirit and co-create our life yep. every given moment. So that ability to choose your mindset, I think at the end of the day, that's more important than all these treatment modalities and practices and supplements and all the different kind of things that we try and rely on. There was just a 600 person study that I read about um, and I, I don't have it here right with me, but it showed that mindset was the number one most reliable indicator of longevity, period. period. Not smoking, not, not drinking, not health, not exercise, nothing, mindset. Now, obviously, if you're living better in accord with those things, you're probably going to have a better mindset. But ultimately, it was mindset. Even the people who did those things, like George Burns, you know, smoking (laughs) a cigar at 101, his mindset was strong. You know, his mindset was really strong. And that's what you can track that through, you know, and see that those are the people that that live the longest. And that's what the science is showing. Yeah. The mind is... Yeah, the primary driver for many of these things. And that's, again, going back to psychedelics, why it's such a powerful modality. It taps you into the greatest part of your mind. Mm. You you can call that spirit, you can call that consciousness, you can call that, but whatever it is, it's the best part of your mind. Mm -hmm. And it's the clearest, it sees the clearest, it's the most loving, it's the most empathic, it's the best part of you. And psychedelics are the way to get you into that state. Yeah, consistently, the more the most effective, efficient, and safe way to have a s- significant rewrite and upgrade in your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, it'll show. This is another thing I, re- I appreciated that you were sharing in the float conference. I saw that talk you gave, mm-hmm. and um, I hadn't. We, you, and I hadn't talked about this, but the way you languaged it at that time, I appreciated. Which is oftentimes in the midst of the psychedelic experience, we see our potential. And where we're going, we still get to do the work. Yeah. And so what's all the integration? What's all the necessary life choices, the mindset to actualize that end point? So we see where we're going and then we reverse engineer it, commit to the process, gather our support. And so now we have kind of a target, like if we're sailing a ship, we know where we're going and yes, we're going to veer left and right. We don't ever go completely straight. And when we get off target a little bit, we come back the other way and we come back the other way. And that becomes this dance, right? Like like bamboo swaying. And if you're extraordinarily rigid, then you break. But if you've got that ability to kind of go with the flow and and bend, then we have the, the opportunity to be a little more free, mm-hmm. a little less rigid, a little bit more kind of inspired, a little bit more willing to share. There's less of that lack mentality, like everything is mine. I got to hold on to it. And be like, man, just let's let us be in the flow to recognize that the more I get attached to things, the the more caged I feel, the more locked down I feel, the less energized and more stagnant my consciousness is. I love that study. I'd love to see the data on that. Yeah, yeah, I'll get that to you. No. We need, we need to get some show notes. Rabba. Uh, yeah. We need to get some we need to get right. some show notes. Show notes. Show notes. Show yeah. Notes. That's a, that's what that's what real podcasts do. You know, we have good conversations, but we're we're 
We're going to be a real podcast now. We're going to grow up. <laughs> upgrades. We're, we're going to grow up. Always we're show, opportunity. We're show notes. So say, hey, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. I've always wanted to say that. Dig so it. We'll put that in the show notes, everybody. All right, then. So keep a lookout. For show yeah, notes. good. Right, because we, I have that scientific side to me, too. I want to see the data. Yeah. I'm not a scientific researcher, per se. I don't sit, sit down and like crunch numbers. I, I, I like following the intuitive piece and becoming more of the experiential engineer like oh that's i bet that's going to go really well with that and when we start stacking these therapies we're stacking like meditation with floating with psychedelics with optimal nutrition with inspired movement Mm -hmm. with our conscious community like fuck i don't really have a big desire to study one of those things i i'm gonna i like let's study them all at the same time maybe that's why we get along so well because i started this crazy company that sells monkey face kettlebells vitamins protein powder (laughs) deodorant right a little bit of everything right what are all that's what it's all about it's holistic it's about everything right you know and as soon as you look myopically at one thing that's when you start running into trouble that's Mm -hmm. the old model that's a little bit broken what's this one symptom Okay, that symptom is a medical condition. We have the thing that'll fix that medical condition. Yes, it may stop, you know, create some other shit, but who cares about that? We got that symptom nailed, you know. Nail, hammer, smash, except it's not a hammer. It's like a fucking nuclear bomb hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) Ah, like (laughs) using Thor's hammer to hang a fucking painting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you may take out the whole wall. If you're not careful with the application of that. I think one of the things that draws people so much to on it and to your message and to the to the experience here is that it's it's an invitation to live a more inspired life. Mm. Really are we living our our most optimized mindset? Yeah, we can always do things to get our body back into better shape. There's probably more of a clean diet to do. Maybe we could all use a little bit of a cleanse, blah, blah, blah. And are we in the midst of that experience super inspired by it? Are we living with the people that we really choose to express a celebration for life with? And that's also a celebration for death. And it's also being able to hold each other's hand when we're in the midst of crisis. And we just had somebody in the family have a really bad accident. Yeah. And he ducked, he dodged a bullet, right? And I, I, I could tell that morning when we all found out, everything else went away. All the to-do list was gone. Mm-hmm. It was like, holy shit, one of, our, one of our hermanos, one of our brothers just missed a big uh, life. It's going to be a life-changing moment, but he, he dodged a big bullet that yeah. could have taken him out. Yeah. And so we get those reflections, and those are all great reflections. Like when my sister passed away a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. her kind of legacy and mission message to me was, am I living my most inspired life? And shortly after that, I changed a lot of things in my life. And it was really impactful. And that stayed with me since. Ceremony can do the same thing. It can really get us intimate with, with what we're in alignment with and what's time to shift. Amen to that. You know, so I guess, I guess I, then the question to all of you listening here is, you know, as the Lakota people say, they would always say this, Hokahe. Today is a good day to die. Is today a good day for you to die? Is it? Like if you were going to die today, would you walk out there with your head up, your chest out, say, today is a good day to die? And if it isn't, start working to that point so that every day that you can walk out there and have no regrets. And if you were called upon to go to battle, 
you'd be able to say, Hokahe. Today is oh. a good day to die. Yeah. All right. <coughs> Whew. Always gets good in this hood. <laughs> I mean, that's really what we're going for. Totally. You know, like no less than that. No less than that, man. There's everything else is secondary. Yeah. Love you, brother. So glad to be on this path with you, brother. Yeah. Para bien de todos till the very, very end. The very fucking end. Much love, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We will catch up with you soon. Okay. Okay. Whew.